Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Today, we're continuing our series, Faith That Works, with a message entitled, Hearing the Word. So turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1, verses 19 to 21, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. I want to tell the story of a man named Abraham. No, not the Abraham of the Bible, but a poor little boy by that name, born more than 200 years ago in the United States. You know, in that time, many children were named by biblical names, especially Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So this Abraham had a very common name, but this Abraham's family was very poor. They were forced out of their home because of extreme poverty when Abraham was five. And so he grew up knowing nothing but poverty. Because of the need of their family, Abraham never got a chance to go to school. Already at five, he was needed to work to help to do his part in supporting the family. And then matters went from bad to worse. When Abraham was seven, his mom died. And to make matters even worse than that, and you might wonder how did they get worse, but they did. Abraham's father had little interest in his son and spent very little time with him. And so this Abraham was left to his own devices and basically raised himself. By the time our little Abraham was 19, if we had been there, we might have noticed that for all of his hardships, Abraham was unusually motivated. He had taught himself to read from whatever materials that he chanced upon. And more than that, he had read whatever he could get his hands on. And so at 19, Abraham determined to make something of himself. And he started a business, and as you might have expected, he failed miserably. And at 20, he decided to go into politics. He actually ran for state legislature, and, and he lost, of course. And then he decided to go to law school, but his self-education wasn't good enough, and he couldn't get in. When he was 22, he decided to try business again, and he borrowed money from a friend, and, and he went bankrupt, and he spent the next 17 years paying off that debt. But while he was paying off the debt from his own failure, he never quit. At 23, a success. He ran for state legislature again, and he won. And the next year, when he was 24, he was engaged to be married. Life was looking up. And then reversal. His sweetheart died, and his heart was broken. At 25, he had a complete nervous breakdown. His political career seemed over, and so did his life. But somehow, he fought back. Then came a series of attempts to re-enter politics, and he lost, and then lost again, and then lost again. But this guy wouldn't quit, and when he was 35, he ran for Congress, and he won, second time in his life. Two years later, he had run for re-election, and you guessed it, he lost. But he kept trying. By the time he was 45, he actually sought the vice presidential nomination for the Republican Party, and he lost by less than 100 votes. That, even though a loss, was a considerable success. So two years later, bolstered by that success, he ran for the U.S. Senate, and he lost. But in 1860, at the age of 49, he actually ran for president of the United States, and wait for it, Abraham became the 16th president of the United States, and yeah, you've guessed it. His full name was Abraham Lincoln. And he was, as far as I can see, the only man who could have faced those incredible battle losses to the Union side in the early part of the American Civil War and absolutely and resolutely refused to quit. Abraham Lincoln had been hardened by testing. 
Those tests had produced in him a stick that just never quit. You know, losses can produce character and incredible strength that all winners out there really know nothing of. For believers, we need the assurance that God puts trials into our lives so that we can become mature in our faith, never quitting. You know, we've been studying the book of James. The book begins by teaching us that God deliberately places trials into the life of believers. Trials are sent by God. They produce steadfastness. Another word for steadfastness is persistence. In other words, God sends hardships into our lives in order to produce a resolute faith that will never give up. This is of great value, and we should savor the excellence of this gift from God. Then James takes us to the next step. Unless our faith perseveres to the end, we won't be saved. God demands that we remain faithful for for a lifetime and even threatens us as to what should happen if we should be unfaithful. Unless we win the battle against sin, he says, we will die. That's a threat. But lest we despair, God promises us that he will keep us faithful. He won't let us go. He'll produce in us a divine power that makes us tough and enduring. And that's what these tests have been about. At least that's what happens when you have genuine faith. But that leads to a question. How does God do that? And the answer, according to James, has everything to do with God's Word. Let me take you back to where we ended in my last message. I'm reading James 1, verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Let me put this another way. The means God used to bring us to him, or the way we became Christians, was by the word of truth, which which is God's word. That's not complicated, but it is extremely important. You know, the Apostle Paul says exactly the same thing. You know, a famous passage of Scripture that most of us know is Romans 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, that's a great truth, and it's an impressive promise. But then Paul adds a component to this truth by asking a very important question. Verse 14 asks, how then will they call on him of whom they have not believed? Another way of saying that is, how do people get the kind of faith that confesses Jesus as Lord? Where does that, where does that come from? And then just three verses later in verse 17, Paul answers his own question. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And that's exactly the point that James makes in James 1 verse 18. The word. God's word that that he speaks and is recorded in the Bible is required to bring forth faith. Without God's word being read and taught and preached, no one comes to Christ. The word brought us forth, says James. And now we know what he means. Now, let's consider the next argument in his line of thought. If the word is required to bring us forth or, or to create faith in us in the first place, then the word is also required to sustain faith. Let me put that another way. The word of God or the word of truth is required if you're going to be that tough individual who never gives up, refuses to quit on his or her faith, simply is strong and endures in faithfulness to Christ until the end. Or if you want to win the battle over sin, 
If you want to remain steadfast, persevering in faith until the end, you're going to need the Word of God to sustain you. The means God uses to help win the battle of faith is the means He provides in His Word. You see, in James 1, 14 to 15, James has been describing a process. He said, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Now, from that passage, we learn that we must always be aware of of a kind of implanting of a seed that seeks our undoing. But in response to that kind of implanting, we have another kind, the seed of the Word of God. Look again at James chapter 1, verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now, there's a well-known story. It's kind of a parable that, that you may have heard about. It's a story of two dogs that lived in the same house. One was an undisciplined, aggressive, and disruptive dog, and, and the other was a noble beast and an excellent watchdog. And every day, these two dogs living in the same house would fight with each other. And after a time, it seemed that the undisciplined dog was winning. You know, the owner of both of these dogs wanted to know why, so he shared the matter with a friend. And the friend said to him, well, let me ask you a question. Which of the two dogs are you feeding? And that is the question for every believer. Which dog are you feeding? The dog of your temptation or the dog of the implanted word? And with all of that as introduction, let's read today's text. It's James 1, 19 to 21. James says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. You know, at first glance, this seems very much like the book of Proverbs. So, for instance, Proverbs 15, verse 1, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. See, that's what Proverbs teaches. Don't talk so much. Listen more, that kind of a thing. It's good counsel. I think when we read James, he's really talking about something different. He's talking about how to persevere and how to make sure that we're going to be faithful until the end. We've all been guilty of taking for granted that God's Word is always the perfect Word and available to us at all times. That's why we wanted to share with you an amazing book that will surely lift your thinking towards Bible reading for the better. It's called Before You Open Your Bible by Matt Smethurst. In this insightful resource, you'll find wisdom and guidance on how to approach your Bible with a positive mindset so you get the most out of your time in His Word. And because the message in this book is in sync with the mission of Back to the Bible Canada, we're making this resource available as a gift free during the month of July. Simply call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca to request your copy for free today. You know, I've said that if it weren't for the context, it would be easy to read James 1, 19 to 21 as simply a teaching about wisdom. These are wise words about learning to listen before we begin to talk. 
And therefore, when we come to James 1, 19 to 21, we might think that James is moving us to a new subject matter. We've talked about persevering under trials, and now let's talk about wisdom in our dealings with others. But if you look at verse 19, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, I mean, all of that seems to be about our interaction with others, right? That seems to be what Paul's referring to, for instance, in Ephesians 4.26. There Paul says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. So the context of Ephesians 4 has to do with the general lifestyle of the believer. Speak truth to your neighbor, the text says. Don't steal, work hard with your own hands. Don't allow yourself to speak to others with corrupting talk. Don't allow bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor to be a part of the way you live. So those are the instructions of Ephesians 4. And so Paul says, it's okay to be angry, but in your anger, make sure that it is a righteous anger. Don't let sin be a part of that. And that's how James seems to talk. Listen, don't speak so much, and certainly don't let yourself be angry. But I've argued that even while we can't go wrong if we apply James 1.19 as referring to human interaction, yet I argue that it should be understood within the overall flow of the book of James. Look back again at verse 18. It speaks about the word of truth. And then look forward to verse 21. It speaks about the implanted word. Then later in verse 22, we're going to study that passage next, James will talk about being a doer of the word and not just a hearer. And then in verse 23, James again will mention the same thing. See, the entire context of the end of James chapter 1 is about what? Well, it's about the word of God. So I think we should understand verses 19 and 20 in the same context. Be quick to hear. Well, be quick to hear what? Well, from the context, be quick to hear the word of truth or the implanted word. Be quick to hear the word of God. And then the next bit of counsel, be slow to speak. Well, be slow to speak what? Well, in context, it must mean be slow to speak the word. Well, what can that mean? Well, I see a number of possibilities. If you go forward to James 3 verse 1, you might notice, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So from that text, we might read James 1.19 as saying, let every person be quick to hear the word of God and slow to become a teacher of the word of God. And in truth, that makes good sense. Don't learn the word of God so that you can teach others. Learn it so that you can teach yourself. And we all know that's true. See, it's far too easy to use the Word of God to correct others rather than correct ourselves. It's, you know, it's this kind of an attitude that allows some to view the Bible only in terms of the power that it seems to give them over the lives of others. How often have we seen that? You know, a person wants to become a teacher of Scripture long before he or she has mastered Scripture. You know, people get mesmerized by the power of preaching, the power of public speaking, and and they want it. But they get into a teaching position before they've learned the hard lessons of biblical obedience and applied it to their own lives or have mastered biblical competence, you know, understanding the unity of the whole Bible and and wrestling with its implications in, in all areas of life. And so we need to imagine someone who's not learned to be a master of the text and has not learned how to submit his or her own desires to the Word of God, but they move quickly to become a teacher. 
And by the way, that thought's not very different from 1 Timothy 3, verse 6, where Paul forbids new converts from becoming elders. I mean, after all, the elder, according to Titus 1, verse 9, is to hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also be able to rebuke those who contradict it. And so elders are to be examined to see if their lives comport with the word of God and if they understand the truths of scripture well and they've shown mastery of what it teaches and then and only then should they ask and answer how to direct the lives of others. Now, if that's what James is saying, well, then it makes sense. Be slow to speak. Be slow to teach. Be quick to hear the implanted word. But just when we think that, James adds, be slow to anger. Now, why that? Now, if I've been wrong in applying the hearing and speaking to Scripture, because as you see, well, how does that fit with a command not to be angry? Well, John Stott suggests that the thing about anger that's instructive is that anger is not just a pure emotion, but it's an emotion impregnated with sin, with self-importance, with self-assertion, intolerance, and stubbornness. Now, those attributes, as we know, are destructive to the life of God. If Bible teachers are charged, as Paul says to Titus, with correcting those who are in error, well, then we might expect that those who are being corrected will, will often put up some resistance. And at this point, the teacher of Scripture is tempted to respond in white-hot anger rather than with patience and love and concern for the person being instructed and in fervent prayer for them. And so it makes sense. Be slow to teach and be very slow to become angry. See, how often is Scripture used to prove us right and another wrong rather than the tool of perfecting someone in their faith? Now, in that context, verse 20 makes sense. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Here's the translation. When you react in human anger, you're never doing God's work. So let's get back to our theme. How does God make us faithful over the long term? How does he give us perseverance and a toughness that continues to fight against sin, hold on to God all the way through life, no matter what happens? And the answer, God gives us his word. And how should we respond? Well, we need to be eager to hear the word. Never treat scripture like a hobby. Let me try to illustrate that. I've got a hobby. I enjoy riding my motorcycle and I do it whenever I get a chance to do it. That's, you know, that's different than my work and that's different than my marriage. I mean, those are my calling. I devote myself fully to those things, whereas I only do my hobby when I have time. That's the difference. Okay, how do we treat the word? A hobby when you have the time or a calling to which you're devoted. Be eager, devote yourself to be a hearer of the word. Read it faithfully. And then James moves to the next step. Verse 21 says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. You see, when you approach the word, you'll want to approach it properly. And in order to illustrate this, James uses the example of stripping off filthy clothing. I was raised on a dairy farm, and, and my mom had a really strict rule. When we came into the house from having done chores in the barn, well, there was a room in the basement of the house where she demanded all clothing from the barn remain. If you came into the house with your barn clothes on, well, she'd pretty much decapitate you. 
I mean, our house was for eating and sleeping and enjoying family and entertaining guests, and it would never, according to my mom, smell like the barn. If you're going to come into the house, you better enter properly. Mom ruled on that one, and I, well, I learned to fear her. And James says that's what we need to do. When you come to the Word, you need to do two things, he says. Strip off your filthy clothes. Renounce your wickedness. Live the repentant lifestyle. And second, receive the Word with meekness. And that word meekness has also been translated as gentleness or humility. The idea, I think, is that James wants us to be teachable. Let the Word correct you. Don't put yourself in a position to to judge the Word. Let it judge you. Be meek. Bow your head. Be ready to be instructed. So, So notice how this goes. Stay away from sin. Be genuinely humble and teachable as you approach the Scripture. He's teaching us to be unguarded in our approach to the Word. Here is what I think James is after. Whenever you cling to your sin, you will resist the Word. Reading the Word is a dangerous thing. It's going to challenge your ungratefulness. It will highlight your envy or jealousy of others, your propensity to gossip, the little lies you tell, the sensuality that you cherish, your fits of anger, your abuse of alcohol, the arguments you have with people, your lack of self-control, your use of time, your fascination with money. It will expose everything that is ungodly and expose it to the love of Christ. So says James, take away all of your barn clothes, throw them off, and approach the Word of God and be humble. That will give you a steadfast spirit to always persevere. So let me ask you this question, a bit facetiously, John, but uh, what's the whole purpose of the Word then? Is it, is it to correct others? Yeah, and uh, right, you've already answered the question and asking it that way, but it, it's a great question nonetheless. You know, I think the Word is to teach us to actually revel in the person of God and to find ourselves delighted in His commandments and to find that the Holy Spirit is using the Word to transform the hellishness in my own heart to make me a lover of God rather than a lover of self. But I find that as I continue to read the Word, sometimes that process is more painstaking than I had ever imagined. And so the idea of being quick to hear uh, really has a great deal to say about the person who longs to be faithful. Thanks, John. And join us again next week for more of Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Back to the Bible Canada has just wrapped up another fiscal year, and we're beyond grateful for all your gifts toward our year-end target. Your generous donations have helped position this ministry for another successful year of sharing the gospel in every way imaginable. We're so excited for everything we have in store for this next year, so stay tuned. Our match campaign in June was a huge success, but we're humbled to say the amount of the pledges we received for the match campaign exceeded our expectations. Therefore, we're able to extend the campaign into July with an additional $75,000. So dollar for dollar, your gift will be matched up to an additional $75,000 in the month of July. We're so grateful for your gracious support right across Canada. So to double your impact, 
Call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.